Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and they'll provide you with the guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. First, let me tell you my guest today is Mr. Frank M. Hanna. He's a screenwriter and responsible for the movie Cooler, among others, and we're going to be talking more about him in just a moment, Uh, so stay tuned. And that the chat room is open, so if you're listening live, you can join us in the chat room and uh, take it from there. If you're listening archived, because all these interviews are recorded live and then archived, uh, the chat room's not available. But all of these interviews are stored at RexSykes.com. That's the official Rex Sykes Movie Beat uh, site. I'm your host, Rex Sykes, and that's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. And you can listen live from the website, or you can listen archived anytime, 24-7, the uh, interviews are also available as podcasts from the iTunes Store, and uh, you can get them, subscribe to them. There's over 300 hours of programming of professional filmmakers sharing their secrets, their expertise, their advice, uh, their tips, their golden nuggets with you to help you advance your career, uh, make your projects, and get them done faster, quicker. I'm sorry, faster, easier, uh, more smoothly, get them to market, get them to an audience, uh, because ultimately that's what you really want to do. And so they're uh, giving of their time and of their knowledge to assist you, because MovieBeat is really uh, designed to be a resource for you, and that's why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. And all we ask of you in exchange is that you go ahead and invite somebody to listen to us right now, right, right with you, whether you're listening live or archived. Go ahead, uh, phone them, email them, tweet them, Facebook them, Google Plus them, use your favorite uh, social means, Pinterest, uh, Instagrams, whatever it might be. Help us spread the word to reach other filmmakers uh, and, and film enthusiasts out there who may not know about the show. And you can do that whether you're listening live or archived. And then the other thing we ask, just in exchange for giving you all this free information and all this golden information, is to leave comments at the player and or to rate and review the podcasts. See, when you leave a comment or you rate and review the podcast, it increases our visibility on the Internet, on the, on the search engines, and it allows for other people to stumble across us, to find us easier, and to read about something that they might and, – and to tune into us and read about, find out stuff that they might not have otherwise done. And that's all we ask of you in exchange. Share the website, share these interviews, rate and review the shows, and then you're helping us reach others in exchange for us – helping you with your projects, and so I thank you with that. All right, I'd like to tell you about my guest today, Mr. Frank Hanna. is a screenwriter, and his first produced film was The Cooler, a gritty crime drama inspired by years of gambling in the rundown casino halls of Las Vegas, uh, Fremont Street. Now, he's credited with coining the phrase Cooler as a person whose infectious 
bad luck, who has infectious bad luck. The film starred William H. Macy, Alec Baldwin, uh, Maria Bello, and was directed by Wayne Kramer. Now, since then, he's written for film and television, including two films for ex-wrestler Steve Austin, Damage, starring uh, Steve Austin and Walton Goggins, and Hunt to Kill, starring Austin and Eric Roberts. And another TV movie, Crash and Burn, starring Michael Madsen. Now, currently, he's working on several film and TV projects. He's also writing a seven-issue comic book miniseries about a nefarious cult, the programmer, trying to save the daughter of a wealthy family from the clutches of dangerous from the clutches of a dangerous religious cult in the Sierra Nevada mountains. He also writes a daily blog called Ironic Clask, a satirical look at the ironically iconic. Frank lives and works in the little Russian area of Los Angeles, and he was born to the cold gray skies of Clyde Bank, Scotland but grew up in Southern California under the shadow of Hollywood's long swing palm trees. And he came to love storytelling from a very young age and absorbed the Scottish tradition of spinning the mundane events of everyday life into funny and entertaining anecdotes. He's a fan of 70s cinema and popular culture, and the marriage of writing and film became an obvious path for him. And so without any further hesitation, let me say hello to Frank. How are you doing, Frank? Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, not bad, not bad. It's, uh, it's a wonderful day in Los Angeles, another wonderful day in Los Angeles, so it's good. Yeah, it's rare that it's not a wonderful day in Los Angeles, though. It's, it's, it certainly is uh, the reputation of having the most perfect weather, um, mostly year-round. Right. So, so um, one of the advantages of being there. So, uh, well, very cool. I'm happy to have you on the show, and, uh, and uh, when... Um, when how did how did you first decide that you know I mean I read in your bio there you know embracing the Scottish uh, uh, form of storytelling how did you first get involved in uh, becoming a storyteller and, and deciding that you wanted to do it by writing screenplays? Well, uh, from from a young age, I think I think you know you're not really conscious of it, but you know your family, my father specifically, mm-hmm. um, would tell stories and about his day, and he would always kind of spin them into these funny kind of anecdotes. Uh, and, you know, I have this thing I, I, I've just come to call, you know, marketing your misery. Because, you know, we all know those people that are kind of the Debbie Downer types. Sure. And, uh, and they're the type of people that, you know, they come and, and they sit down and they, they're like psychic vampires. They drain all your energy and, and they're just complaining about their life. But, you know, the truth of it is, you know, people who market their misery or tell tell their life in kind of these storytelling kind of ways, they can vent the same amount, uh, but they do it in an entertaining way. And, uh, you know, you don't feel bad to be around them. So I think that uh, for me, um, at a young age, just kind of seeing that this is this is a way to kind of express yourself. And uh, from a young age, I, I always wanted to be a writer. I don't know why I knew that. But I just something that I really wanted to do, and it just came uh, to a point where, you know, my love of film, uh, you know, was always there. That was a big part of my childhood, going to the movies, uh-huh. and 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 the, with writing, it, it became a situation where, you know, it's like, wait a minute, you know, I love writing, uh, I love movies. It just seemed kind of silly not to uh, try and go down that road. And uh, and that's what I did. So you know, it's a lot of it's a, it's a slog, uh, a long slog. But you know, it's uh, uh, you know, 
I just knew that was what I was going to do. So you know, I had to make the sacrifices to to you know pursue the dream. Well, that's very cool. So so um, when it comes to writing screenplays, for example, you know the the first movie that you had made was The Cooler. Now um, I love The Cooler. I, I think it's a, it's a special movie, and uh, and my curiosity was, what's it like to 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 write a film like that and then have and I, I remember I asked you this once before, though. What is it like to have um, a term kind of enter, you know, the vernacular of of, uh, of our society? Because uh, I actually yeah. found uh, I actually found out about the movie because a good friend of mine turned to me one day and said, "Rex, you're a cooler." Right. And I'm like, you know, what? Because a guy had problems with electronic equipment, and uh, and I said, "What?" He said, "Hey, haven't you seen that movie?" And I said, "No." He said, "Oh, you got to see it." So I, I watched. I immediately got it. I watched it. I was like, "Oh God, absolutely! This is so cool." So, so to 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 write a screenplay, have it be your first produced screenplay, and then but have the concept of cooler enter uh, American consciousness has got to be kind of a an amazing thing. Yeah, it, it it it's very strange. Um, I mean, there's a part of you that is you know obviously very proud that you 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 know you you, you coin something that some, somehow like kind of just goes. And, and lives a life all on its own. Um, it, it's that's amazing. I think the the thing where it really is, uh, uh, for me, where, where it's really been amazing is when I've gone, you know, gone back to Vegas since since the movie was made, <laughs> and uh, I'll hear the other gamblers talking about it. I'll be at a craps table or a blackjack table or wherever. And and even see hearing you know uh, dealers and pit bosses and people using the phrase and and I never say a word I just sit there I don't you know uh-huh. I'd rather just sit there anonymously um, but hear them say that and it, that's where you realize wow you know it, not only is it something that has been kind of uh, uh, taken on by kind of society but even the the industry itself has kind of accepted it <laughs> they embraced it right. Yeah, so that's kind of fun. You know, it's kind of fun. It's it, you can never count on it, something like that. And, and sure. it, it's just kind of very fortunate that it uh, that it that it did happen. So, you know, um, it kind of offers a, a level of street cred, and and I and I'm and I love it. So it's it's fantastic. Well, it's it's a disturbingly charming movie. You know, I mean, it's it's a it's a wonderful movie. Did is that did you base it because you spent time in Vegas? I mean, how did how did the 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 actual movie come about? Well, the how, idea, yeah. Uh, absolutely. The idea was, uh, uh, you know, I always credit my uh, my introduction to Vegas and and to even kind of wanting to write a movie like this to uh, uh, the brother of a friend of mine named Dirk Withrow. He was the guy that took me to Vegas when I was 21. We all went kind of on these crazy turnaround trips where you just go nuts and and uh, he kind of uh, he he kind of. Ex- showed me kind of what uh, his version of Vegas was, you know, and it wasn't necessarily the big, you know, fancy schmancy casino Vegas. It was the rundown, you know, kind of carpet joint Vegas. And I always liked that better for some reason, just because it was kind of more atmospheric. It wasn't certainly as as nice and, and opulent, but it was just, it felt like that's the gritty Vegas. And so, I, I would spend time there and a lot of time there. And I think you just start to, if, if you're like me, you, you're always watching and listening to people and you just, 
you you can't believe that these characters they're like right out of a storybook wandering around and and so it just took only so long before I, I it, it it was just kind of germinating in my head that you know whenever you go to Vegas and and, and say you're at a craps table or you're and you're playing with a bunch of people and, and then one person just walks up and then, then the whole thing just collapses you know everybody's luck changes and it just kind of seemed like this collective karma you know. Wow. Well, so, and, and, so that was, it, yeah. I mean, like baseball players or something, I mean, there's a lot of superstition sure. around uh, gambling. You know, uh, you know, having someone blow on the dice or not blow, you know, someone standing next to you could be, a, I guess, in, in your world, in the, in the movie, you know, could be a cooler or could be bring you good luck. Well, absolutely. And uh, I think this is what you kind of see. You know, you, you, you you're wandering around in these casinos. You're playing different games. You're you, you're just in that environment, and you see other people's bizarre superstitions, and uh, in 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 real time, and you, you see how they react. You know they they're all doing fine, and then their wife comes up just to say hello to check in, and then everybody loses, and they're like, "Damn it!" <laughs> you know. So and so you know, and it's not. I mean. Don't want to blame you know somebody's wife right. or whatever, but like to him that's like you just you just screwed me because you came over and now everybody's lost. So just go away. You know, here's more money. Go away. So uh, you know, it, so so it just seemed very ripe for for telling the story and and I just thought about that and um, and and then eventually it just seemed like well, what if a guy is so unlucky that he you know he he just ruins everyone's bad luck and then what if he is hired to, to to make people unlucky, and it's like and even that like is an interesting idea, but it isn't right. a movie. Um, it's a kind of a concept, and it was it wasn't until the idea of adding in, you know, the cocktail waitress that he falls in love with that changes his luck, and then once you have that, then that's that's a movie. And, and so, now, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, please finish. Well, yeah, I just you know it, I think that. It, you know, this is what kind of put the, you know, kind of this, you know, the stamp on it. I think, in in the sense that, like, you know, the people have had all kinds of ideas about uh, about the cooler, and, and in terms of what kind of movie it is, and and uh, and and you know, even when people would go and see the movie, uh, when we had the opportunity to watch it with audiences, you know, at first the movie starts and we see the, you know. Macy is is uh is making people lose and 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 then and they're laughing and joking and they think it's pretty funny and then all of a sudden it takes a violent turn and, and then they're just unsure how to react because they're thinking they're gonna see kind of this fun movie. They didn't know what they were in for. And so that's really interesting to me is is kind of seeing how people uh, respond and and a lot of and, and and the way it was marketed as a love story, and and and, sh- and it surely is a love story. But then I've heard people say that you know yes it's a love story, but the real love story is between uh, Bill Macy and uh, Alec Baldwin. That's the love story, not the one with Maria Bello. Not in uh-huh. a conventional sense, you know, mind you, but that that is where the true, you know. So it's really it's it's. It's an interesting triangle um, of the of the three characters, and uh, so I I just love that it, it kind of it, people have their own kind of choose, you know their own kind of 
uh, feelings about what the what the movie means, and uh, yeah, so it's it, it's great because you know you, I get to learn something new about you know about it um, the more I talk to people, so it's, it's kind of fun. Uh, that's really cool. What I was gonna I wanted to jump on this point that you were making uh, mm-hmm. when you said you know and and I love it because it's it's like you know where do people get ideas and how do they get ideas and if somebody wants to be a screenwriter you know and they're in their approach uh, you know they're they're pursuing that and they're in some are in college some are in high school some are you know just kind of trying to learn the ropes on their own or picking up books but you mentioned you know that you're in Vegas and you have to see this you observe this naturally occurring phenomenon. And you have the wherewithal to go. Now, this is this is interesting. There's there's people here who, you know, are doing well, and someone enters the the party, and and their luck changes, and and, and right. the people are aware of it. You go, okay, that's cool. That's, that, there's a concept there, you know. And then what if the concept? What if the guy, you know, what if somebody actually gets paid? You go, but that's not a movie yet, you know. And then I introduce the love interest, and that now we're talking movie. So can you address that from concept to to movie? In other words. I think a lot of people have brilliant ideas, but they don't know what how to translate that into something that's going to be right. you know, a 90-minute right. feature. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's exactly right. I think a lot of people come up to me, just as any working writer um, that has friends or people say, oh, you're a writer? I have a great idea. You know, and you're right. like, oh, really? Okay, let's hear that. And generally it's, you know, I'm a mostly unformed idea because they're not in the business of writing screenplays. So they tell you something that is not a story, but it is simply, you know, an event. You know, it's something that happens, but it isn't a story. And I think that, you know, I I kind of go, uh, I use what I call the the kind of the sixty minutes, uh, you know, uh, analogy or or the, the, I use the sixty minute school of of storytelling, and that's going to sound very silly, but what that means is. You know, if 60 Minutes has a story, they do three stories every week, and one of the stories is about toxic uh, waste dumping in, you know, a river in, you know, uh, the Northeast. Uh, you know, that's interesting. Uh, that's an event. You know, that's not a story. The story is about the woman that lives downstream from the plant who has a son who is now sick, you know. That's a story. So you have to put a human face on any event or any situation and how it affects characters. That's the uh-huh. thing that is going to be, you know, that's going to transform something that you could even seem like a rather mundane idea and, and turn it into something that, you know, has great conflict and, uh, you know, introduces some form of a moral dilemma. Because the moral dilemma is is the, I think it's the crux and it's at the heart of any kind of the human face of any drama is is some kind of dilemma. So, so that sounds like a lot of mumbo jumbo, but really, what it gets down to is that I think you need to to understand that your characters have to uh, go through the ringer, and you have to have something to frame that with. You know, that you have to give them, uh, you know, a set of uh, problems that uh, can kind of uh, you know allow them to transform. As opposed to just having an idea where, you know, like I used to, when I was younger and, and, and I would talk to other writers that were uh, more uh, advanced and, and kind of further along in their career, and I'd say, hey, I've got an idea. You know, it's like, what if a guy uh, is on the roof and he's got a gun in his mouth and he's going to kill himself because he's really distressed? 
and then right before he pulls the trigger, the door flies open, and there's a woman, and she's running, and she's being chased by a killer with a knife, and he immediately turns and just instinctively shoots the guy with the knife. What do you think of that? And then people go, oh, that's really interesting. That's great. But then storytellers would say to me, well, that's great, but that's not a story. That's an event, you know. And I'm like, really? Come on, that's cool. Don't you think that's cool? And I go, they go, yeah, yeah, it's cool, it's cool, but it's not, it's not a story. And so then, you know, the story is that this guy becomes kind of a hero, and then what does that mean for him, you know? And does he, you know, he starts to get, he starts to get all this attention, but does that, but does he or does he not kind of admit that? Listen, I was up there with a gun to kill myself. Why doesn't anybody ask me why I was up on the roof with a gun? You know. So it's that kind of thing. So it allows for the kind of conflict and uh, inner conflict as well to kind of just kind of play out. So, so I find uh, I find that as long as you can put a human face on any story uh, or even an event, then that's where you can start to build and create a, a you know something you can build a three act structure over. So that's that's kind of my two cents on that. I mean, obviously, you can I can talk for hours and hours and hours about you know storytelling and characters and that. But I think if you kind of distill it, that's what I that's usually what I come up with. Well, that, no, that's that's fascinating. I, I really enjoy that, and I think it it definitely gives people an uh, an idea and an ability to to kind of hang their hat on the concepts and and understand you know what's necessary in 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 and uh, taking a concept or an idea, you know, and and, and making a story out of it. When it comes to the, the three-act structure and it comes to, uh, co- you know, conflict, I mean, in other words, there's going to be certain points within the screenplay where things kind of have to happen in order for it to fit that structure. Uh, and, and in terms of conflict or having a human face, is there... Um, I mean, I, I love what you said, you know, about like the, you know, the, in, in each example, whether it was the guy with the gun or the girl or the, or the you know, dumping something, and, and the story is about the person downstream. Um, what is it about conflict? I mean, what is it? What is it that the writer needs to know about conflict and creating either, you know, conflict between characters, a conflict in circumstances, or inner conflict um, that helps make this all interesting, you know, and, and riveting right. for the viewer or the reader. Well, I look at it this way. Uh, you know, it, it's it's like when you you have a brother or a sister or your, or your friend, and and you never uh, you, you're upset about something, but you never uh, uh, you never speak up, and then eventually it all just boils over, and then you just explode, and you uh, and and it's it and it's it's kind of how things conflict in, in stories is is a way to. Um, to kind of move a story along or to help a character to to find out what he's made of. Because if the character's just sitting in his house or at his job and it's all going well, well then, you know, it's nothing happens and that becomes very boring for for a reader or for, a, you know, an audience. I think, you know, it's only whenever conflict is entered into a situation where you get to see the person uh, test their mettle. And I think that that's where you start to see decisions and I think as stories start to evolve, you know, what you may discover is that uh, based on, you know, what's inside your own head, uh, you know, the characters may take uh, actions and make choices that you wouldn't necessarily make, and, you, and, and, it, and it's surprising, and it helps to kind of create turns in the story. But if you don't allow the character to make mistakes and to, 
to come up against some kind of conflict, then they'll never grow and your story won't go anywhere because it just it just there's no reason to. And and it, and if you don't have conflict and these things are happening, then it seems it feels very contrived. Like, well, okay, now you now you're having them do this and do this and do that. But you know, conflict is is it's such an important part of any story, and it doesn't have to be violent confrontation. It just it can be simple, but it just needs to be something. You know, a phone call, anything that kind of sets a story into motion, uh, and 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 really asks that the character act in a meaningful way. Um, that's the thing that uh, that will reveal character is conflict. So it's 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 a huge it's a huge thing. I mean, people are always always kind of afraid sometimes to use conflict in their stories because 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 they 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 know instinctively uh, and it scares them that storytelling really is problem solving. And when you introduce conflict, you're you're creating a problem. And sometimes people don't want to have to. They, they don't like conflict even in their stories. So you know <laughs> they don't. You know they don't. They're like, oh, I don't want. You know because it forces you to have to come up with a solution, and that's difficult. So because that's really what the job of the writer is is to kind of solve the problems of of any given story. And you know, in, in different types of stories, come with a different set of problems. But I think that you know. I think fine with young writers. That's the thing that that uh, it scares them to kind of create too much. They they make it too easy on their hero because they're they're like, well, geez, I don't know how I'd get out of that situation. And of course, that's when you hear about writers banging their head against the wall. That's generally what it's about. Like, how do I solve this problem that the character has gotten himself into? Do you think that that uh, I mean? When you say simple conflict, the idea being that that it's it's more interesting if there's massive amounts of conflict. By that, I don't mean the diehard kind of every you know action flick where everything is is being thrown at you, including the kitchen sink. But but that we as people probably tend to yeah. I, I mean, one person can have a breakup with a girlfriend or a boyfriend and be completely devastated by it, and the next and the other person next to them goes, okay, who's next in line? You know, I mean, we we right. respond. To conflict or to adversity or problems in our life differently, but do you think for a visual medium like filmmaking that the 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 larger the conflict the the uh, more likely the film gets made or gets watched for example well yeah okay go ahead go ahead i I was just saying that i mean for example, you could have the the and and then you run into cliche too, but I mean, you know, the guy is devastated because his girlfriend breaks up, and there's all this crap that happens in his life. That's one thing. On the other hand, the guy that goes next might actually encounter a whole lot more conflict with, uh, you know, all the different people he tries to date. Could be, you know, lunatics, kind of like after hours or something, you know. And sure. <laughs> so it's not that the one is devastated and the other one has an easy time of it. You know, conflict can be conflict in a variety of different. Opportunities, I guess you'd say. That, that's right, because if, if for example, uh, you know, you, you have a movie about a guy who, you know, everything's going great, and then all of a sudden his girlfriend breaks up with him. I mean, that is that is the start of, you know, countless movies, um, and, you know, the conflict isn't can be can be subtle or or huge. The event is, I'm sorry, I don't love you anymore, or I'm sorry, this isn't going to work. Like. You know, forgetting Sarah Marshall, same thing. Here's this kind of lazy dude, and then the girlfriend who's kind of a go-getter comes in and just says, look, I'm sorry, it's over. 
and he's just absolutely, you know, beyond himself. And he goes on vacation, and of course, what's the conflict? The new girlfriend, or the new, excuse me, the girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, and the new boyfriend are are in the same hotel, like next in the next room to him. So, you know, it it it, uh, you know, how that conflict kind of unfolds, uh, it, it, and how people respond to it. You know, that's the thing. You know, because if a character is like, ah, I don't care, you know and they're not really bothered by it, that's boring. But if we know that they, they're just in denial, um, uh-huh. conflict can can kind of be very restrained. So I think, it, you know, there's genre conventions. If you do a diehard-type movie, well, then you're going to need explosions and guns and, and set action set pieces. But if mm-hmm. you do something like, you know, a Merchant Ivory film, then that's different. You know, one of my favorite films uh, is a movie called The Remains of the Day. Uh-huh. And with... Uh, Anthony Hopkins, who plays kind of a dutiful butler, and he's so restrained, it's maddening. You know, he doesn't, ha- you know, he doesn't allow himself to have opinions. He doesn't allow himself to, uh, to express himself. And when Emma Thompson comes in, and she's kind of like the matron of the house, uh, in terms of, of of the people who are kind of working to keep the house for the owner, you know, he can't express his feelings and so it's very that's a conflict but it's kind of very bubbling under the surface and even though it's not huge conflicts in terms of action you know you see it all inside of him and so Mm -hmm. it it has huge impact and to the point where she gets so frustrated with him that she decides I'm going to go off and just marry somebody who wants to marry me and when he tells her or when she tells him rather that listen I've been asked you know, he's asked me to marry him, and I'm accepted. And then you just see his face, the devastation. He never says anything, really, but you just see it. So it's like, it can, you know, there's no right formula for it, but it just has to feel, you know, it feels has to feel organic to the character. If a character is restrained, then, you know, at some point he's going to either, uh, you know, it's going to be unrequited or he's going to explode, but at some point you have to make that decision. So I think in... in in any given story, you have to kind of look at the, you know, the look at the whole situation. What is the genre? What does my character want? What what type of thing? Uh, what what types of you know ways would a character respond? And I think a, a, another thing, just to kind of backtrack a bit about kind of you know coming up with ideas and stories, is that I think young people and young writers um, they're writing based on kind of films they know. But they haven't lived at all. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. They haven't lived, so they haven't gone and de- done anything, and so so therefore they don't know the answers to these to, the, to these tough kind of human questions. You know, As somebody who is uh, younger may not know what it's like to get divorced. They might not know what it's like to lose family members or to be in real jeopardy. And so a lot of times, kind of with with age comes this wisdom. You know, so we know at least one answer to how things are, are resolved. And that's very, very much a part of of writing because it all just kind of sticks in there. And so you kind of have that in your tool bag, you know, uh, in terms of how to solve these different problems or, you know, or or your own failings. Well, I tried to solve it this way, and oh, boy, was that the biggest mistake of my life. Well, and hence, and, and hence the admonition, write about what you know about then. Or you know, or or, or very from your true, very true. wisdom and experience, and and, re, and and obviously you read a lot too because you just you know because our lives are generally a lot smaller 
than the characters we we write about. So you know, we really want to get a sense of um, kind of these worlds that are outside of ourselves. You and, know, I uh, always. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's that's basically it. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say I always struggle with the notion of of how do you avoid doing the same thing as an actor, as a writer, as a director, as a filmmaker, whatever it may be. How do you avoid making the same choice that twenty other people would make? You know, and how do you how do you find that original voice? How do you find that unique idea? How do you find that that turn inside your screenplay or that choice that you make as an actor? That if you were walking into a casting room, you're not going to do the same thing that the next nineteen people are going to do. And and I think so much of that comes from life experience and that. That's not to say that young people can't have massive amounts of life experience inside a short number of years, but I, oh, I, that's, I right. Do, that's right. You know, I do think that it's that the more you the and, and this isn't an admonition to go out and live hard, <laughs> but the, the but the more you experience life, the more the the more nuance there is for you to choose from, and that probably the the a difficulty with young writers, in, in, not in chronological age necessarily, but early writers. Um, or new to the craft of writing, um, tend to choose more obvious choices, you know, and and may not choose the 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 lesser of, you know, what I'm saying, the the, the less oh, sure. the least cliche choice because, you know, they they don't have yet the experience of 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 understanding. Well, this is more interesting than that. I know this seems more interesting, but this is what everybody would do. You know, I, I always go back to an actor friend of mine who was auditioning for a role that he never got, and it, and it, blew, it broke his heart. But he ended up being cast and having a thirty-five career, for a thirty-five year career in something else as a result. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, he had a particular line, and he he went to an acting coach of ours, and she said, "Sing it." You know. So, right. You know, and he did. So, and and, and you you have to go back to the fact that the casting directors were like, so they were like, wow, it's a different take on this. Instead of saying, okay, you guys are gonna die, he's like, okay, you guys are gonna die, and right. they, they yeah. loved him, but they didn't cast him in the show because he wasn't right for it. But they gave him another job that, like I said, is translated into thirty-five years of work. And 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 I gotta go back to there were other factors, but that 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 he this coach of ours gave him this thing that was so different that, you know, it stood out. It's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, you know, one of those things where I think having a unique perspective, you know, is what, uh, is what kind of allows for, for something different to kind of enter into the world. And, and none of these little small things um, ever, you know, uh, that change doesn't happen. Uh, or that acceptance doesn't happen overnight. I mean, even with the cooler, people would see that movie and say, "Wow, you know, uh, that's a great movie." And 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 they may think, "Well, if I could write a movie like that, then I could get a movie made." Well, what they don't hear is the three and a half years of pushing that rock up a hill, where everybody in the <laughs> world said, "No, no, 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 no," and and so it got to the point for me where I, I just thought. You know, we had gone through the director and I, and and we we had, he was working to to see if he could raise some money and 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 doing that and there was so many chances that just fell through and I honestly had just said, well, you know what, I don't think, no, I'm not thinking that this we will never get made, but it's it's not going to get made right now. And then as soon as I turned my back on it, or in the sense of just kind of moving on. Uh, then it just happened, and when I was told that there was the chance of some financing, I just I laughed because I thought, yeah, sure, 
because it was just like the 50 other times. Uh-huh. So so in a way, you know, there's that theories people you know, sometimes say to me, you know, I'm always two steps behind. And I say, really? And I say, well, try being two steps ahead. And, uh, and so it's like you can't win. You know, it's, 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 there's a lot of uh, luck that's involved of being in the right place at the right time because there's plenty of talented people out there that just can't seem to get, you oh, know, yeah. uh, get a break. So th- the thing is, if you're going to do this, you know, you you do it because it's it, it's it sounds like a cliche, but it, honestly, it's so true. You know, you do it because you would do it anyway, because it's a hard business and it's a despicable business. And by the time you learn it firsthand, instead of sharing anecdotes, it's too late because you've spent your time trying to get to the point that you're at. So you have to love it. For loving it, you know, and uh, and uh, you know, but it's it's the thing that's rewarding is that you get to live a creative life, and if that's meaningful to you, then uh, then that's something you can you'll pursue. You know, some people they they do this and and feel that creativity through their children, or their uh, their family, or just their other job, you know. But for the people that want to be show people, you know, this is this is kind of their this is something they have to take on and it's uh, there's not, not much they can do about it if it's in there, if they've got that bug, you know. Well, this, I want to ask you about this aspect too. I think it's, uh, it's great for conversation. I, I have a couple of analogies that, that aren't fully developed analogies on, on the on the motion picture business in and of itself or the entertainment business. One is that it's a funnel. You know, there's a wide end with you know all possibilities that gets narrowed down and only a few make it through the outside into the other. Yep other area or it's like you know going to the airport you know you have all these people standing around but then pretty much you're stuck in a line and you're <laughs> you're scanned and you're x-rayed and you're searched and you're all these things and then you're either eliminated or you're let through but but unlike an airport more people are eliminated than are ever let through but it's it's a rude you know and then then you're stuck inside a little cigar and you know shot across the side of the you know planet but uh, um but at any rate the uh the question that I had is, can we discuss that aspect of, of the making of the cooler, how that came about? Was it option first? Did you, was it a, like a friend who said, oh, I can do something with this, and you just ran with it? How did, how did, the, how did that progress? Well, uh, how it started was, I mean, from the very beginning was I had this idea, and, uh, you know, the director, Wayne Kramer, and I, you know, were long longtime friends, and he was a writing mentor to me. So I would always send him my ideas and say, hey, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? Because, you know, I was I had not had anything produced or sold. And, you know, he would say, hey, that's a good idea, that's a bad idea, or, <clears throat> you know, he would give me his two cents. Well, I gave him, you know, the pitch for the cooler, and he he said, hey, you know, this is great. You know, I love this. And I said, oh, great, thanks. And so then, you know, a couple of weeks later, he asked me, hey, did you did you start writing that? And I said, no, no, I've just been busy because I had a day job. And a couple of weeks later, he said, hey, have you have you started to write that yet? And I said, no, no, no. And then a couple of weeks later, he said, have you started to write that? And I said, no, I haven't. I've just been busy. And he says, well, all right, well, listen, I want to direct that movie. You know, and, and of course, you know, which was not as though, you know, it was, it's not like Steven Spielberg coming to you and saying, I want to direct the movie. It doesn't mean an automatic green light because he was a, a young filmmaker, too. So, you know, on one hand, I was like, great, uh, but I also knew that it didn't mean uh, necessarily that that meant the movie would get made immediately. It just meant that, you know, there would be a chance. So we worked on the story and wrote it. Uh, 
and uh, and then eventually had the script and given to a producer friend of his, and he immediately said, "This is fantastic. This is a no-brainer. I'll have this set up before you know lunchtime." And I said, we were just like, yes! And we were so excited. And, of course, you know, it just, it, it became um, just a, a, a very long, you know, protracted experience of finding uh, producers and, and, and or money and financiers or people and they, all the studios passed. There was just no, I mean, because this is the thing. It has sometimes it has no reflection on whether or not you write a great story. It's all about marketing, and it's all about what you know people think. Because it's the business of the business. So for them, they looked at the, the script and they said, "Okay, well let me see. If, let me see if I get this. It's two forty-plus actors and um, uh, a, a female co-lead that is is not supposed to be at least in the script. Some young young thing." Not an old person, but just not, you know, probably somebody that's in their 30s or early 40s. So they're looking at it like three 30 or 40-plus actors in a movie. Who's going to go see this? And that really became kind of the bottom line for a lot of people. They just felt like it's not, you know, Taylor Lautner. And, of course, there was no uh-huh. Taylor Lautner back in, uh, right. in 2000 or whenever when this was right. or in the midst of all this. But whoever the, you know, the... The young, uh, right. you know, because when you you have a, a hotshot lawyer that's you know becoming a district attorney or or whatever, that person is now played by somebody who isn't is barely out of high school. So, <laughs> so so you know you, you so, so trying to cast for reality, um, even in, in the independent film world, um, it, it became tough because even back then it was that you know indie films were really. Uh, what they really wanted them to be is just mini inexpensive studio films in terms of content and, and, and the way that they cast them and put them together. So the point is uh, we went through that process for, you know, a good two or three years and, you know, coming across foreign financing people, um, there was even a moment where there was some studio interest or there was somebody who had a deal with a studio that wanted to turn it into a kind of a comedy with a Jim Carrey type of, uh, you know, can you imagine that, like a Jim Carrey slapstick <laughs> comedy version wow. of The Cooler? So, you know, and all these things kind of weren't what we wanted. And then it, was, it wasn't it was until we we came across, uh, um, there was a producer uh, named Sean First with First Films, and they had a deal with Ed Pressman, who was creating a, uh, a company called Content Films, which their mandate was to make, you know, a million-dollar digital films. And they thought it was an interesting idea and worth and worth pursuing. And uh, they were able to raise the money. And because it all started to kind of come together, then they said, okay, well, the director wanted to shoot it on 35-millimeter and, and a film rather than digital. And, and the budget eventually kind of became more than, and it wasn't a lot of money, but it was certainly more than the $1 million kind of digital business plan they had. And so so there was other investors, and then eventually, you know, we had to try and cast it. Of course, we wanted Bill Macy, because in my mind, he was always the guy. He was always the guy. 
even from the mo- moment it was written. But wow. that doesn't mean he's going to do it, you know. So right, right. Because we're huge, you know. Both Wayne and I are huge fans of Bill, and and so when we, you know, tried to get the script to him, you know, his agent was like, no, 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 no. Um, and he turned it down a number of times, and uh, and then eventually, you know, we assumed that this wasn't going to happen. And I think at one point there was even, I think uh, Kelsey Grammer was attached to the film, and I think that you know, I imagine Kelsey Grammer as the cooler. That's an interesting <laughs> thought. It is an interesting. Uh, so yeah, so 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 he uh, had said no, 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 or his people had said no uh, for whatever reason. And then eventually he uh, came around and said, "Yeah, okay, I think I can do this." And uh, was it through his agent that, that he came around, or did you get to him uh, from some other means? Well, you know, to be honest, like I, it, it was a thing where at first I thought, like, well, well, pretty much, like, you know, one of the one of the reasons why, and I think it was kind of a through his people, uh, you know, he 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 had said, "Listen, I, I have a, a, a just a moratorium on." Losers, unlovable losers. I'm not playing another lovable loser because, like, he can he kind of cornered uh-huh. the market in these type of characters. Uh-huh. And he's like, I'm 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 putting a moratorium on losers. No more, no more. And so, what they had kind of said to him is, people had kind of said, Yes, yes, I know, but like this is like the uber loser. You know? <laughs> and you know, he he kind of wins out in the end. So, so I think eventually he. Uh, uh, you know, it just became a situation where, uh, you know, he, he the timing was right, and I think he kind of got what the character was and wanted to do it, and and turned in a, I mean, it's a fantastic, you know, uh, performance. And then, of course, you know, getting Alec to read the script and uh, and agree to be in it, I think, in large part because, you know, I think he re- respected. Uh, Bill so much, and want, everyone wants to work with him. So, um, I think that helped a lot. But you know, the interesting thing too is like in in the story, you know, there's this moment when the character, you know, his character kicks this woman that the the, the audience believes is pregnant, and you know, Alec read that, and the minute he saw that his character kicks a pregnant woman, like he just put the script down. He never even finished it, oh, wow. and uh, and because he was just so. I think probably just so, you know, kind of put off by the notion that, like, why do I want to play a character that kicks a pregnant woman? Like, that is really not cool. Uh, and uh, and so his agent said, hey, did you read the script? And, and uh, I'm guessing he said, listen, no, I'm, this is irresponsible filmmaking. Why would I want to be in a movie that has a character that does this? And his agent said, you know, no, keep reading, keep reading. And he was all right, so he read it. And then when he realized, oh, wait a minute, like he didn't kick a pregnant woman in the stomach. He he knew she wasn't pregnant, and he's that smart. And uh-huh. so uh, that was a turning point for him, and I think he realized, wow, this guy, like, knows all the moves. And I think that that, you know, he was, he took the chance to say, hey, I think this is something that we can, that would be, I mean, it's a great character. I mean, because a lot of people seeing that movie, End up loving his character, even though his character right. is, a, is is really a bastard. And uh, but they 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 see the the good in him in a way, you know, in a kind of Darth Vader kind of way. But uh, <laughs> but I think and, and that's an interesting thing, you know. And there's something in, intensely uh, satisfying about seeing 
audiences react to that moment in the film when when he kicks, uh, uh, you know, the Charlene character in the stomach. And, I mean, I watched the movie with so many audiences and, and, and guaranteed there's always some person uh, that walks out, you know, because they're just so offended because it's offensive. Right. And they don't wait around to see that, wait a minute, okay, that's not what's going on here. But it does have that kind of visceral kind of in-your-face kind of uh, effect on people. And um, I think it was... Uh, I, I mean, it seems like that were kind of instrumental in kind of, you know, kind of making it a bit different than uh, than kind of your everyday fare because I think it, you know, I think that we, we as people, we're, our days are very programmed and, and we have a lot of responses and we say things that are just automatic and we're on autopilot. And it's only when real moments happen that we kind of snap out of that autopilot and kind of realize, hey, wait a minute, something there's a real moment happening here. And I think that uh, we go to movies because I think they kind of connect us to that notion that, you know, even though it's it's it's, it's an idealized fake version of a real moment, but that's what we kind of crave. We crave something different out of our own kind of rut. And I think that um, when when people would see the movie and see that moment, they, they it just snaps them out. And uh, <clears throat> I found it uh, satisfying, not that I had upset anybody, but... Uh, that, uh, but that it had that effect because it, it, you know, it just shows. Wow, you know, it just shows the power of, of a great film. <coughs> Excuse me, and uh, I think uh, that's something that um, you know you kind of strive to do is just to connect to an audience in a way that that uh, uh, that you hope that you connected to when you were younger and saw movies and loved characters, etc. Well, that's that's absolutely. Fascinating. I, I'm going to offer an opinion, and then I got to take a short break, and then I'll come back with another question for you. But, but I, um, you know, in my movie going evolution, I used to love gory special effects, and I and I worked, you know, behind the scenes of special effects and being in the movie business. If, if something was truly gory and graphic and horrifying and everything, I was like, oh, this is fantastic because it's so real, but yet it's not real. I mean, I'm not a fan of roadkill, you know, and and, and real life events. Uh, turn me off or affect me, you know, strongly, if, you know, with with the humanness of what happens in tragedy. But in film, I was like, oh, this is cool. And, you know, so if it was a war film or a horror film or something, I was all into it. I, I'm, I am not so much that way any longer, um, especially when it's just kind of like gratuitous violence for violence sake or things like that. I mean, I, I've, I've gotten over my my uh this is incredible special effects and, and, and now they can do so many things with special effects or, or with uh, CGI or something, um, but what I have found in my movie-going evolution is those moments that we confront what you said, real humanness. So that whether it's right. like somebody getting kicked to the stomach, or, or you know, a, a, a human losing a, a, a spouse or a, a girlfriend or a father or a child, or you know, or in, in whatever kind of way, whether it's a death or a divorce or uh, somebody's actually missing. Or, I mean, the, the the real moments when people have a fight on the street or something and they're arguing and they're not beating the crap out of each other, they're just having a verbal disagreement, but but you understand that there's something important about this. Um, are, are, are those captivating moments? Are those, are they, I mean, you know, it's too bad when people walk out because they haven't sat to watch through what, what you know, what the through line is with something. Um, uh, but but have, I, I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say other than it's those kind of moments that, that are in, the cooler, the, the, the kicking her in the right. stomach, and that that is 
to me what's fascinating about movie making nowadays. You know, it's 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 the things that are, I don't know, they're subtly, they're, they 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 can be in your face, but they're kind of like subtly, they're thought provoking. There's something that they they can they can stand. You know what I mean? You think about it after you leave. <laughs> oh right, they're, I mean they're jolting. They're they're I mean absolutely, it's a jolting moment, and it's not uh, a glorification of violence against women exactly. on any level. It's 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 just it's a moment that just comes that is so unexpected that it, it makes you stop and uh right. um yeah so <clears throat> i think and, and it's i'm sorry yeah. and it's not unlike something that you won't encounter somewhere you know it's not out of it's not it's not incredulous it's 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 something that you know if you're in certain circumstances you might run into something I, I mean i was in a bar where this guy punched a girl one night you know around a pool table and i was just like holy crap you know? <laughs> right. See, that takes you out of your. You know. Your, now, if comfort, if if, if every five, right, but if every five minutes in a movie somebody did that, you'd go, well, this is just getting a little over the top violence on women. You know what I mean? But but if the right. scene just happens to be in the middle of the movie, like it, where yours, where this thing happens, then it's then it's it, it's like more true. You know what I mean? It's true to life. It's it, it's it's thought provoking. It's like whoa. <laughs> well, anyway. Well, yeah, I mean it. it yeah, definitely, definitely, and I, and I think that's uh, uh, those would be kind of. It, it seems like that, uh, which could come in any in any form, really, or the things that you know you talk about twenty years later when you're, you know, you're. It's it, it's these type of moments, you know, that uh, we remember in movies, you know. Absolutely. It just yeah. This is a, I'm having a wonderful time chatting with you right now. I've got to take a break. I'm a little overdue. I'm going to take a break and, and tell people about the upcoming guests and that they're listening okay. to uh, Frank Hanna. Uh, we're discussing The Cooler, one of the movies that Frank has written. And you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official web address is rexsikes.com. All these interviews record live and are archived right there at the uh, at the website and the interviews blog. Be sure to share this website with others. And please do leave comments before you leave the player today. Uh, go ahead and leave a comment. I say this every show, and some people leave comments, and some people never do. And I'm hoping that those who never do will, and those who do will continue to do so, uh, because the comments help us grow our audience and help us uh, uh, reach out to others on the internet. My upcoming guests are going to be Peter Marshall. He's, we're in the middle of the director series. Uh, we've been talking about script breakdown for for uh, directors, but now we're also into talking about performance and, and uh, filming the actors and tips and suggestions for doing that. He's on the 12th. Ken Moore is an animator and a filmmaker coming up on the 17th of April. You're going to want to listen to him. Nick Mancuso returns on the uh, 18th. We, I think this will be our sixth interview we've done. Nick is a friend and and is uh, into writing and directing and art and everything, so we always have a fascinating time. Gordon Firemark is an entertainment attorney coming up on the 24th. We're going to talk about fundraising, the different forms of fundraising, getting money, crowd Start, uh, crowd funding and now the new jobs law that passed and how that's going to affect um, everything. And uh, we've got Kim Swanson, who's casting director, coming up, and uh, and also uh, I believe Clint Howard will be with us in May, as well as a number of other people. So uh, stay tuned. <clears throat> I'm going to I'm going to leave it there as far as um, who my guests are, um, but uh, stay tuned. I got lots of fascinating guests coming up. And I uh, appreciate you being here today and listening. And, and for those of you who joined us in the chat room, thanks for being here. And do uh, leave comments. And, uh, and now we're returning with, uh, with Frank Hanna. Uh, Frank, um, I wanted to ask you this about this film, Getting the Cooler Made and when it was made. Were those the days 
And then I got another question about about casting. But were those the days, uh, like they are now, where you you call up somebody's agent and you say, "I'm interested in Alec Baldwin," and they go, "What are you offering?" Where oh was, yeah, I mean, money talks first. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, and and it kind of gives you the impression that like all actors are just money grubbing people. That's not true. Right. They're people that uh, that. Uh, that represent them, you know, that's their job is to get them jobs that that pay money. Uh, and obviously the, the best money uh, a lot of times wins. And I think that, you know, this is why, you know, a lot of times they don't want you to contact the person directly because, you know, if you have a relationship with someone, say a Bill Macy type of, of actor, and say, and, and you know, they're going to want to maybe do an interesting role if it's, if it's something that they, they like working with that person, they're going to do it. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, money it, 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 it thins the herd. I think you know because you know, I think I think actors and actresses they you know they they get offers I think probably a lot of the time, and so much of it is dependent upon schedule and and money and and all of that. Like it's you, you know people often say to me. They say, uh, well, how did that movie get made? You know, I can't believe how bad that movie was. It had this person and, you know, these big stars in it. Like, how did that crappy movie get made? And and, and what they don't necessarily understand is how the system works. And it's, I think it's, it's a flaw in the system, but, but, it's, but it's the reality. And that is that, you know, say I've got a script that's, you know, uh, that I'm a producer and I've got a script and it's, it, it, it's good, but it's not great. It's got problems, right? And but uh, I've got money to get it made, and so then I want to try and cast Sam Worthington or Brad Pitt or you know Colin Farrell or whoever the next big action star is this week. And they say, uh, and I they say, okay, well, well, what are you offering? And so then, okay, we can pay you know this this amount of money. Okay, well that's great. And then you get a director. And the director comes on and goes, well, you know, I want to do this project, but I've read this script, and I think it needs about another six weeks' worth of work before it's completely where it needs to be. And then they say, yeah, okay, well, that's fine. We, we can we can, we can, can do that. And you say, okay, great. And so then the agent of the actor or actress comes back and says, well, um, there's an opening in the schedule, and, and you'll, you can get Brad Pitt, but you have to start on this date and that date is six weeks away or or three weeks away or whatever amount of time it is, that there's no time to do any changes in a script. It's all just it's time to go. And the question is, do you, as a producer who has, you know, this huge budget and investors and all of that, do you say, well, listen, we really would love Brad Pitt or whoever the big star is to be in this movie, but we, we want him to wait an extra six weeks while we get the script in line. Well, chances are that actor or actress goes off to, the, to film something else, and then if you want that person, you're going to have to wait maybe another two years for them to be free again. So then you so that's what the choice is. So they say, well, shoot a half-baked script with Brad Pitt or shoot a you know, a fixed script with somebody else. Well, I think I'll choose Brad Pitt or I think I'll choose, you know, Sam Worthington or whatever. So so that's what happens and then people make these movies and it uh 
you know, it, it, it's that the, that the train is rolling and, and, and you have to get on it because it doesn't stop. You know, so you want to believe that everyone's going to uh, to kind of get get in line and say, okay, well, we'll all just put our lives on hold while the script gets fixed. You know, it just doesn't work that way. And so that's why a lot of movies get made that you're like, how did this get made? <laughs> what a mess. Like, this, this script doesn't make sense. And, and and I wonder it too, but I just know that the business itself kind of dictates when things get done. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things you just you have to live with. I mean, you know, that's just the, the way it goes. It is uh, amazing, and I don't think that most people, unless they've, of, and I say Hollywood, but unless they've been inside Hollywood or, or some large component city like New York or, you know, an industry city overseas, it really can even begin to fathom the amount of interworking and interlocking and interchangeable parts that all simultaneously either uh, work together or go awry uh, in in getting any one project from a concept to an audience, it uh, it's absolutely just uncanny, and I mean it, it truly is you know assembly factory work and and business, and I mean it's everything. And I think a lot of people somehow romanticize it or think of it like you know starving artists in New York wearing black and smelling of formaldehyde, you know, in their dimly lit studio, you know, with their paintings that they're waiting, you know, that they can sell. You know, and then somebody buys one and they're catapulted into success. But, and I don't mean to diminish that in any way. That's a huge artistic endeavor and challenge. But I'm saying the the industry is made up of of so many different people, uh, directors and producers and writers and 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 different crew people that that you know it's like when it lines up, it, it actually goes. It's it's just almost beyond belief. Uh, it, it's true. I mean, you know, and I, I'm not the only person that was involved with the cooler that would say that you know the planets aligned for it to 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 really work in a great way. Because even though you know, I think we had a great script and and uh, great acting and, uh, and 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 Wayne directed a great movie. I think that you know you just don't know how it's going to go. And right. so, uh, the, so when the planets align, you know, it, I think we were all aware of that. That like this was just this. It was kind of faith that it, was, that it was all going to work out the way it did. But you're so right because, I mean, it is a collaborative medium and, you know, one of the things that uh, you know is the big inner conflict of, of, of art artists of any stripe is that, you know, art has to meet commerce at some point if you want to pay your rent and you want to survive. Um, and you need to be willing to find that area. If you want to be somebody who it's just avant-garde and does things outside of the system. Well, that's certainly your choice, and I think that you know you you're you know you should do that if that's how you feel. But but understand that if you're going to work in the Hollywood machine, there's like expectations, and and uh, I think that you know because of technology and 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 the internet and the way digital um, filmmaking is is kind of expanding, I think it becomes easier to work outside that box, but. Uh, if you're looking to be in that machine, you know that you're just going to have to play by the rules, um, or it just becomes, you know, incredibly more difficult than it already is. And so that's a that's a tough thing because people see it as like selling out. But I mean, I think you can do you can do work that uh, satisfies both, you know, your landlord and, you know, your 
artistic expression. Uh, and before before we proceed, I want to I want to mention something. I've been remiss. I, I want to say that you, your Twitter address is is Frank M Hanna at Twitter, and it's F R F R E. Oh no, it's at at Frank M Hanna. I think is what it is. Well, that's uh, yes, at Frank M Hanna. So it's F R A N K M, as in Mary H A N N A H, and those H. are double N, says in Nancy Frank M Hanna at Twitter, and your blog, which I have not yet mentioned, is ironiclast.com, I-R-O-N-I-C-L-A-S-T.com, ironiclast. We're going to talk more about this. You know, we're getting to the point where we're almost out of time, too. We've got maybe, you know, 15 minutes left, and I, and I hesitate to change the, the topic too briefly because I'm enjoying this so much, and, and, and there's so much more we can talk about. I, I want to invite you back to the show in the sure. near future and have you back. Okay, cool, because... Because this is this is a, a very enjoyable time, and, and there's much more to talk about. You got other projects, and you've got your your website, and I want to be able to do all of them justice. Um, but let me let me um, say that uh, we, I get very excited, and I get very um, uh, cautious, I guess, about the new technology. And um, and I have maintained, as, as some, many of my guests, is because anyone can make a movie nowadays uh, doesn't mean that they should. You know, uh, there's a lot of white noise out there. There's a lot of crap going out. But there's always been a lot of crap going out in Hollywood. You know, it just gets filtered out probably quicker because the distribution channels at one time were were a certain way. Now they're now they're in 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 some ways even tighter. But while they're tighter, there are other channels or other opportunities opening up. So you've got internet, you've got iTunes, you've got Amazon, you've got you know your own form of social media for for getting projects out that never would have seen the light of day through traditional um, distribution channels. So, but I do think what people encounter, we, I, I loved what you said. You know, art has to meet commerce, and I think a lot of people nowadays go, "Hey, I got the camera. You know, I went to Best Buy, I went to you know somewhere, and I and an electronic store, Circuit City, whatever. I picked up this camera. I've got you know a final draft. I can write a script or self fix. I've got uh, you know uh, Final Cut 10 or or Pro or you know Premiere. I mean, I've got software. I've got I've got you know GarageBand. I've got, you know, I can I can do this. And and in fact, they can. Can, you know, and they can get, they can right. assemble their friends, they can, or they can, they can go sag no low, uh, low budget, ultra low, or something. They can, they can try and cast up and get names, or they could just make a movie in their backyard. But what they ultimately still encounter is commerce, if they're serious about trying to get it to an audience. Now, if they're just showing it in their backyard or they're going traveling, you know, they're four-walling it and they're going from state to state to state and they're renting theaters to try and get an audience and build it, they're still they're still encountering commerce, they're, you know. And, yeah. and they're, you know, I mean, and the bottom line of, to me, with filmmaking in, 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 in the way that we discuss it in this program is it, it's, it's not a hobby. It's it's for those who are serious in the profession and to treat it as a business and know what that business means. And even though our business climate and 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 everything may be changing, the landscape may be entirely changing, you still are going to intersect. You're still going to come up against somebody who goes, all right, this is about dollars. <laughs> you know, if you want it in family video or in Blockbuster or, or iTunes or whatever it might be, it's still about money. And then it's about the quality of the product. I could make a, a fantastic pair of shoes that are so uncomfortable nobody would wear them, but they look great. Or I could make a pair of shoes that are so comfortable that anybody would want them, but they look horrible. You know. And now I've got to find people who will get that shoe 
from the warehouse to the store shelf and into the onto the people's feet. <laughs> and, well, well and, that's true, but I you know, but I also take a different look. Uh, you know, I, I think that you know before, like say twenty five, thirty years ago, the idea that somebody could uh, you know practice their craft in terms of making a movie and doing right. things was so much harder. You know, I mean, certainly yes. there were camcorders and that, but but nowadays the quality is there. The ease of use is there. The the ability to edit it and do all that. I mean, it it, it gives people a, a training ground that they can explore. Um, you know, there's a there's a there's an artist, uh, a, 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 you know, a music musician out here who does. He's, his name is John Bryan, and he's done a number of um, scores for films and movies. But he he's kind of a local uh, musician here, and you know, one of the things he's been quoted as saying is that you know artists need to be prepared to experiment in front of an audience. And I think that, you know, for him that means musically experimenting. But I think in in terms of filmmakers and even just young people, you know, pointing their cameras at people and, and editing and putting things together is that it gives people a chance to see it and it gives them a chance to get better. And if they continue to, to do that, they're going to, you know, just by nature of, of just of, of learning bit by bit by bit, um, you know, you, you never know what you're going to get. So I think that, you know, the expectation that it's going to be a blockbuster or something huge right out of the gate uh, is probably unrealistic. But I think the idea that they can experiment and do interesting things with the technology, to me, is is uh, fantastic, I think. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that new way of doing things versus the old way of doing things. No, and I and I heartily agree with you in in this regard, absolutely. Because whereas at one time you could get schooled in uh, some aspects of it over long periods of time, now you can get schooled in many aspects in a relatively shorter period of time. And how I think how good people become is ultimately how how much they put themselves through it over and over again, how right. many movies they do make and how much training that they, they do, you know, but I mean, at one, I mean, now somebody can sit in their house and they can learn how to, to do CGI. They can do after effects. They can, you know, they can uh, edit their film. They can even learn to score it, you know, and it, well, it, it may take 10 or 12 years for them to do that on one, you know, I've known people who've worked on one project for years because they've done everything. And, right. uh, and uh, you know, and what a labor of love that might be, and it may or may not ever go anywhere. But but the uh, the incredible amount of training that they've undergone uh, is something that we could n- almost never have had back in the old days. It, you know, in in the same in the same regard, I guess. I mean, you know, um, if you were lucky, you know, you were taken under somebody's wing, and you might be able to learn producing, or you could learn writing, or you could learn directing, and if you got in there, then somehow you could maybe learn something about editing by standing over them. You know, I mean, but but this, I mean, it really is a do-it-yourself world. It is, and, and I think, you know, uh, like even people that uh, uh, that uh, they, they aren't necessarily someone who's going to crack a book and read how to do things, they can go onto the web, they can go to YouTube and they can watch a video on how to do things. So it doesn't matter how you learn, um, uh, the technology is there to, you know, at any point if you have a question. But people don't even realize that, you know, uh, before the Internet, like writers had to go to the library and research things. Like, what's that? Like, no one even really, (laughs) you know, people don't have to go to a library anymore, you know, so uh, to kind of research. So I think... um, you know, it's. Uh, I think it's all good. I think, you know, it, the as, as technology.
technology continues to kind of just become more uh, kind of mainstream and easy to use, I think you know it's it, it can only can only uh, be a help. I think. Wow. Now I'd like to return to uh, something that you mentioned earlier, and that mm-hmm. is that you you in talking about the cooler and talking about um, uh, Bill Macy, and and that you had envisioned him in the part from the beginning, which some people. You know, both you know, you can read books and writing, and someone say, "Oh yeah, pick pick someone you know and and write them." You know, the actor that you yep. want. And other people say, "Don't do it because the chance of you getting that person is next to none." Because by the time it all cycles down, you know, or your script is rewritten by ten other people, you know, it's, it's unlikely. But you, you know, got your dream guy, and 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 some people are so iconic that that you know, in a role that you can't imagine anyone else. When you said, "Yeah, well, Kelsey Grammer was attached." How would that be? And I'm like, uh, boy, I don't see that. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like right. thinking of Kelsey Grammer as, as, as uh, you know, in Casablanca. I go, that doesn't work for me. Right, because like, um, the guy has so much kind of. Like, he's. He, I think Kelsey Grammer is an amazing actor, but is yeah. he that guy? You know what I mean? Does he channel yeah. those, those elements? So, you know, yeah, totally. It's it's an amazing it's it's just an amazing thing. Do you have do you have kind of a formula you work off with now? Do you do you continue to write for for people or I mean or 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 yes and no? Well, I got a, a piece of I got, I got a piece of advice from somebody um, which is is going to be it's going to sound very obvious um, because to me like I I would write things for people that I thought were uh, fantastic actors that I I would really love to see in movies. I'll give you an example like I. Uh, I, I wrote a, a script about kind of uh, the devil losing his mojo, you know, and uh, because he's been defrauded of, of, of a few souls, uh, and he has to kind of figure out why why that's happened, and he's not really interested in kind of having to go and do the work to do that. But I wanted to cast Ian McShane. I don't know if you know Ian, who Ian McShane is, but he's a British actor. He's been in all kinds of movies and and. Uh, uh, Huge, huge fan of his. Totally perfect. But, you know, but the business of the business says, well, Ian McShane isn't going to open a big um, movie in the United States, you know, like a big kind of genre movie. Right. He's not the guy that, that that would be the first choice. doesn't mean to say he wouldn't be fantastic, but when you're talking about financiers and people that decide these things, they're going to say, yeah, I don't think so. So the question is, do you write a movie for an Ian McShane or somebody that you would love to see in a movie, or do you write for the five guys that get movies made? Well, I would say that if you if you if if you have some dream to write a film that is, in fact, you know, like say The Cooler or something that is personal to you, or you know, it's this is the person that you, I say you you write it, you know, the way you want it to be seen. I think if you're trying to work in the kind of commercial world of, of selling scripts to studios or getting things set up, I think that you really, the business of the business really kind of dictates that you do write films for people that, it doesn't have to be one specific actor, but if you know that there's a, you know, five to ten of these actors that Basically, get all these roles. Like if you if you write an archetype that is that they could fit into, then that makes it much more appealing to a studio um, or a producer, so they can say, well, listen, this is this would be a perfect vehicle for somebody who actually can get a movie uh, greenlit. 
So, I mean, that's where the art meets commerce thing comes in again, where you have to kind of decide. Um, I would never say to somebody that they shouldn't cast in their mind the person for something that they really felt strongly about. But if they're talking about, like, you know, working in the studio world, um, you know, this is a consideration that you have to make. If you're going to write a, a fantastic story about a little old lady or your grandma, that's not a movie that the studio is going to make. So, I mean, you have to kind of just... doesn't mean you shouldn't write it, but you just have to have an expectation. And understanding that, understanding that aspect of business. Now we, we're really down to like the last five or six minutes, and and um, and. Uh, but I, I want to follow this uh, logic for a second, and and that is, if you write for an Ian McShane, uh, barring the fact that he's you know non-American, you know, with a non-American accent, or. Uh, and that isn't written in in that regard. I mean, in other words, the character isn't described as as a British, you know, person, but just as a person. Is are the studios for the listeners there? Are the studios so? Uh, is there is their their vision so narrow, or they're focused on other things so strong that they couldn't say, well, I. I I could put Tom Cruise in this role, or are they so different in terms of who they are and how it's written that they can't, that they just go, this isn't right for Tom, so we pass. I mean, how do you, how well, do you, how do you... I, I think, I think it's, it, it, you know, to, it's not even that. I, I don't even think that much thought goes into it. I'll, I'll just be, be honest with you. I really don't. I think that, you know... But in I, this, did, I didn't hear, could you repeat that? I didn't hear what you said. Sure. I, I don't think that there's there's that much thought that goes into it. Okay. You know, I, I, at all. I think what it gets down to is that you know the the studios are now in a position where and that nobody wants to do development at all. They don't want right. to take an idea and say, hey, this is great, but I think maybe if we could repurpose this for this actor or that actor, they don't want to they don't want to spend the time doing that. They want projects that can are, are just ready to go. So right. it doesn't mean to say you can't find a producer that wants to develop with you, but but given that that environment, everybody's they don't they know how hard it is to push a rock up a hill. No one wants to be the person that uh, uh, comes to them with a difficult project. They want somebody to come to them with like a slam dunk. This is e this is the way the business is kind of uh, becoming, and I think in some level it has always been that way. But I think that um, that is that that is what it is. It, it really has. Nothing to do with um, what the, how they feel about Ian McShane or an actor like him, uh, because he's a fantastic, fantastic actor. It's not even that. It's just that what can we get greenlit? What there's a small list of people, and this is who you know we studios want to work with, and this is who they believe can um, get a certain amount of money in return for this amount of budget. It's it, it's it's all numbers, and so right. it, it really isn't even personal. So. You know, it, it sounds very cold and clinical, but I think uh, when you're talking at the studio level, this is a, a big part of what you know they, how they make decisions. Um, and so, you know, you just have to, you know, hey, look, if, if I'm a big director or or a big writer or somebody who's huge uh, in the industry, then you play by a different set of rules. But for you know the people that are are trying to break in or at, or kind of just um, kind of at the working level then you have to play by these rules, um, uh, you know, and, and you may tend to be more successful. But, you know, look, 
nothing's set in stone. You know, somebody could do something completely different and 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 do just fine. So, well, you know, and having said that, it, it is it is um, you know the purview of the show. It's the the idea behind it that if you're you're entering the business, if you want to enter the studio system, you need to know what you're going to face. If you're trying to do it independently, you need to know what you're going to face, whether that's in front of the camera or behind the camera. <clears throat> because the landscape does change depending on, on what you're trying to accomplish and, and where you're trying to accomplish it. Uh, I really do appreciate, Frank, uh, your candor and everything that you've you've spoken about today uh, about writing and about the cooler and about the business itself. And uh, we are out of time. And I, again, I want to mention Ironiclast, I-R-O-N-I-C-L-A-S-T dot com. Going to give us a whole lot more to talk about. Go visit uh, Frank's blog. I just I had earlier today stumbled across your your uh, article on reality uh, television programming, and a friend of mine had just gotten interested in it, and I, and I had, was telling him about resources, and everything. And so I emailed him right before the show. I said, "Oh, hey, you want to read, you know, Frank's take on on uh, this reality t- producing reality TV?" And, uh, and he wrote me back and said, "Oh, cool, you know." And, he, and he'd got it just moments before the show. So it's a it's a great resource. If you haven't yet visited Frank's blog, go visit it, and and also follow Frank on Twitter at Twitter Frank M Hanna. And uh, all, his interview will be archived and available anytime, twenty four seven. So we hope you sh- share it and hope you also leave comments uh, here at the player as well as uh, at iTunes. Um, rate review the show. Frank, it has been an incredible pleasure. Um, oh, my pleasure. Our, when you see our friends, please say hi around lunchtime. You know, if, if whenever you're out and about, um, you know, uh, we were first. I first met you through Harry Northrup, and uh, yeah, and I appreciate that, that very much. Yeah, me too. Me too. So uh, I appreciate that very much. So be sure to pass along a hello, and uh, and thanks so much for being here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to call you in a few minutes, and we will arrange for the next time that you can come to the show a little bit and we'll talk and uh, let the listeners know when that's going to be because I know they're going to want to know. All right? All right. Sounds great. I had fun. It's it's great. Uh, Thanks, Rex. Me too. Thank you. All right. Mr. Frank M. Hanna, uh, screenwriter, and he does. He's got other projects in the works, other projects that he's done, and and his uh, blog, and we want to talk about all of those in the near future. I appreciate him. Very fascinating guest. Uh, and I appreciate him being here today, as I appreciate you being here today, both live and archived, and for those in the chat room. Now, people have trouble in the chat room on and off. They get in, they get kicked out, they get in, they get kicked out. So sometimes uh, there's lots of people in the chat room. Sometimes uh, there's not so many people in the chat room. But whenever you have a chance to join us live, join us in the chat room and uh, and, and enjoy it. I want you also to know I've got lots of other fascinating guests coming up, so stay tuned. My next guest is Peter Marshall. And please do spread the word. Share the, this website and these interviews with your friends far and wide, your industry connections. I also should tell you that Rex Ike's Movie Beat is being redesigned. It's going to launch sometime on a new platform. And so I have not been contributing to the content of the website, the written stuff, Rex's Rants, my blogs, things like that, as I should because this has been a, a very long and laborious process of, of changing things and getting data moved. And, and so the interviews continue to get uh, updated uh, weekly and monthly and all that. Sometimes articles appear and, and show up on these other blogs. But if you're wondering why the website hasn't a whole lot of daily updates and things, uh, it's because for the past year we've been uh, working on this. Now, you can become a, a, a friend of mine on Facebook. Uh, my profile, I think I'm loaded up. I can't do it, but there's Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends on Facebook. By the way, Frank, 
uh, I should have asked him, I believe it's on Facebook too, so look for Frank Hanna on Facebook, and, and if he's so inclined, uh, I don't know if he's um, accepting friends or not. Um, you know, I, I'm always kind of hesitant because some people reserve Facebook just for family and friends. Um, but uh, you can join uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends on Facebook. You can follow me at Twitter. It's Rex Sykes Movie BT. That's Rex Sykes Movie BT. That last word is abbreviated at Twitter. Um, also, there's a couple of other websites. There's uh, uh, Wisconsin Filmmakers uh, or Wisconsin Film Jobs. Keep Wisconsin Film Friendly is a site that I run. It's for Wisconsin filmmakers and uh, and the area filmmakers who's cast and crew news and things like that, as there is on Rex Sykes Movie Beat. And uh, directing a short film coming in the next few months called Serum the Movie. Serum the Movie, you can friend that page as well. Uh, but be sure to go check out Ironoclask. Uh, dot com i r o n iron i r o n i c l a s t dot com uh, and you'll be glad that you did all right everybody have a fabulous day make your movies complete your projects until we meet the next time thanks everybody that's a wrap